The views expressed in our podcast do not represent the views of all sorority organizations. You might even hear different viewpoints among MJ sorority team members featured. Real Talk intends to foster open dialogue about issues we see across the country that affect real women. And beyond these thoughts and recommendations, we would ultimately refer you back to local, state, and federal authorities, as well as your own sorority's rules and policies. While we intend to keep content light and informative, there may be insurance claims discussed that involve bodily injury and personal damage of a sensitive nature. Be aware that topics may be a bit graphic and even emotionally charged. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Real Talk with MJ Sorority, the voice of sorority risk management, where we talk about the big risks, small questions, and real challenges sorority women face today. MJ Sorority is the premier insurance agency for women's sororities. We are passionate about educating and empowering our clients. We believe that striving to be unique never stops, and that by promoting safe decisions and smart risks, we can continue to create spaces for women to grow, serve, and lead. I'm Sarah. And I'm Allison. Be sure to stick around for the end of the episode where we get into what we can't stop talking about, besides sorority risk management, of course. For now, let's dive into our conversation and let's get real. Hello. Today we are talking about property basics. And so I thought we would start. Allison, as mentioned previously, is a client executive, which means that she has the um, responsibilities for how many clients? Six. Six clients. Six sorority organizational clients. Yes. yes. (laughs) So I thought we would start with having her explain kind of how that works um, from a you know renewal standpoint, proposal standpoint, just kind of taking starting at the very beginning, what you do um, when a when a client either purchases the insurance program or renews their insurance program. Yeah. So for us, uh, we're essentially providing as an insurance agent commercial package policies specifically for our sorority nonprofit clients. So we're primarily working with a sorority headquarters uh, and they um, are the person making most of the decisions about what kind of coverages that they want amidst that package policy, Uh, the types of coverages, the deductibles, the limits, things like that are what we would discuss with a sorority headquarters. And then within that headquarters, uh, often the way we explain it to the insurance carriers we're working with, and they're the ones actually writing the the physical policy, insurance policies themselves, um, is that since sororities are sort of set up with a national organization and a bunch of chapters underneath them, uh, that those individual chapters or house corporations are sort of uh, their own entities, but included in in the policy is named insureds as well. So the best way, the best thing we know to liken it to is sort of a franchise that you have a national organization or sometimes an international organization if they have chapters outside the U.S. and uh, sororities within that. So the headquarters chooses things for the insurance program like, as I mentioned, limits, coverage deductibles, and the chapters then and house corporations would choose how much property coverage and how much work comp coverage they want scheduled for their specific location at their university. And that's because uh, the payroll uh, that work comp, workers' compensation coverage is based on can vary so much from state to state and location to location. 
as well as properties look different uh, from every between every campus. If you are a sorority chapter member and have talked to any friends at other universities, you probably know that it can Greek life can look very different from campus to campus. Sometimes you have a huge mansion house is what people used to ask me as I traveled <laughs> as a consultant to, to chapter properties is, did you live in a mansion house? It's like, yeah, I guess I did. It was a large house that housed about 100 people. Or sometimes you don't have a chapter facility uh, and you might meet on campus in different meeting rooms and there may not be a central location where you think of property being stored. Um, and that's okay. The, the physical building does not make the sorority, but there's, and then there's every sort of variance in between. So that is why when it comes to property coverage, we need to know some specific things about your campus and your university's property to make sure that you have the coverage you need under our insurance program for your sorority. Great. Hopefully that answered that, what you're asking. Yes, I was like, helpful. this can go in so many directions. <laughs> um, I think what we want to kind of make clear to our client or to, to listeners of the podcast and especially to our clients is that the headquarters and that could be it varies by sorority as well. Mm-hmm. Like it could be their board, their governance board, or it could be the executive director or some combination of thereof or mm-hmm. their CFO. You know, that just, I mean, really probably even for your six clients, it's not the same from client to client. So they're making those decisions that affect the entire program in terms of limits and the types of coverages that they decide to purchase. And then it's up to each individual location to choose whether or not they have property coverage and workers' compensation coverage, but they're automatically included in all of the other, you know, large number of coverages like their the umbrella limit and the directors and officers coverage and embezzlement coverage like all you know yes. a whole litany of things and that they're you, kind of automatically um, opted into mm-hmm. just because they're a member or a an um, organization under the main sorority basically exactly and a lot of that is by design because something an individual chapter does they have the same affiliation with a national organization that another chapter and another campus does and they're all part of the same brand and the same identity as that sorority and so they all affect each other in terms of some of those bigger coverages like general liability Um, and if you don't know what some of those coverages are that Sarah just mentioned we will we will go into more detail with those (laughs) later on stay tuned stay tuned but because we offer this package, we call it a package policy with a lot of different coverage lines included. Um, there are the ones that affect everybody that are more of a named insured schedule in terms of determining who is covered, uh, but then property specifically, as we mentioned, is something so unique campus to campus. So sometimes, depending on how your organization is structured, some of those decisions are orchestrated by maybe someone who works for your national housing board or something like that. That's true, too. But uh, even they are communicating locally to figure out what is going on. What property is there? Is there a building? What are all the things when we say property coverage that would need to be included? And if you are a sorority chapter member out there, before you zone out and say, this does not apply to me, I do not care about property coverage yet in my life, there's some basic principles we're going to try to cover today that should at least give you a glimpse into how this works. That could carry over into if you ever buy property or a home someday. Yes. Uh, could carry on over into that some of the concepts. 
So let's talk about what the property coverage actually covers. So when we say property here, we're talking about sorority property, not personal property. Mm -hmm. um, so this could be the furniture that the house corporation or chapter owns at the chapter house, the kitchen appliances. Um, and then, like Allison mentioned, those chapters without houses, they still have chapter-owned pro chapter property. Um, composites like uh, ritual, ritual material equipment, equipment. Mm -hmm. um, recruitment so, all those recruitment decorations you save just in case you're going to use them again <laughs> later because you spent a lot of money on them <laughs> things like that so that's what we're talking about when we talk about the property coverage um, and we're going to break down the various I don't know what would you call like the the parts of property coverage. The parts of property <laughs> coverage yes there's different uh, sort of buckets uh, that we put them under uh, because a building is not the same as contents, is not the same as uh, loss of income and extra expense. Those are the three buckets we're going to talk about today. Okay, so how about you tackle building? Yes. So first, the analogy we like to give people when they're trying to decide, is this piece of property, piece of sorority party, property part of a building or contents? Uh, and again, you may hear this in other kinds of property coverage, this analogy be used, but if you were to metaphorically or theoretically take a building, turn it upside down and shake it, the stuff that would fall out, the things that are not affixed to the building would be contents. Those are the contents inside the building. Everything else is part of the building. So if it's equipment or even decorative things like carpeting that are part of the structure once it's installed, uh, those things would be part of the building just as a way to kind of visually recognize building versus content. So when we talk about building, to answer your question, Sarah, uh, we value this usually based on cost per square foot is the best way to estimate or estimate what a building would cost and what should be scheduled on the policy in terms of coverage. So we know that there are a lot of different ways to do this. You may have an appraisal on file or know about other ways to do this. We're really just looking for the replacement cost and the best way to estimate that is to talk to a contractor and ask, you know, if you were to have to replace this property from the ground up, what would you say the approximate cost per square footage would be? to replace it and usually a contractor that knows your facility or has spent any time walking around it can give you a pretty good estimate. Um, okay so then contents that stuff that if you metaphorically shook the, mm -hmm. the house out would come out mm -hmm. would be everything that isn't fixed down so your furniture um, you know possibly kitchen equipment depending on how that's uh, fixed I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think. So like art. a microwave, not probably not, but if it's like an oven or a sink built in, that, yeah. that might be part of the facility. Right. Um, and so one thing that we have created, we call it the House Corporation Inventory Checklist on our website, and it walks you through, one, it's helpful just to record everything that you have, um, because heaven forbid, if there was a total loss, Think about how much stuff you have in your own personal home, let alone a sorority chapter house. Um, so you wanna make sure that you have that just all recorded, but then it also helps you value, value it as well to come up with your contents limit. And basically, again, just like with building, you wanna think about what it would cost to replace all of this in its entirety. Let's say that there was, 
you know, a total loss um, that what it would cost. And that's what we want our contents limit to be, that we would replace it like new, you know, tomorrow or something like that. Um, and then with that House Corporation invo- inventory checklist, which we'll link to in the show notes, so it's easy to find, well, you want to make sure that you store that off-site because, again, if there was a total loss. And we encourage maybe a couple copies, so mm-hmm. like the House Corporation president um, and maybe the chapter advisor, you know, however that shakes out for you. Obviously, um, it's actually an Excel document, so <laughs> I think that recommendation is probably pre-internet days, but, um, you know, it'd be easy just to save it in the cloud or something like that too so a lot of people would be able to access it if something happened for sure and if you don't uh again have a traditional sorority chapter facility in that sense still having a list of of your contents is important even just changing officer to officer i would think that's a practical thing just to know here's everything our sorority owns and knowing where it is having someone keep track of it so just like that we would hope you would do that for a big building. And it can it can be hard to think of all the things to include on that list. That's why we've tried to... Right, we break it down by, like, room and by type of thing. You know, mm-hmm. so even if you haven't thought of it like that, like, as a content um, item, that, you know, it'll hopefully trip your memory to be like, oh, yeah, I need to record that and figure out how much it would cost to replace. For sure. And that's the kind of stuff that, yeah, it, when there's a claim and a loss, we look to that information to say, well, how do, how do we know what was there? Do we have pictures? Do we have videos or lists or however you want to record that? Yeah. It's helpful. Yeah, take some of the stress out of a really stressful time if mm-hmm. you already have that done when things aren't stressful. Yeah. I have memories of being a kid and watching my dad walk around with like an old video camera recorder trying to like show everything in our house. And I was like, what are you doing? But like, like that's essentially, we're just trying to understand yeah. what is in your facility so we can track it. So and that's for you to keep, by the way. Yeah. We, don't, we don't need to track that because we know that can change year to year so much. Right. And we just provide this, che- we've created this checklist just for your use to hopefully make that a little bit easier for you. But yeah, we don't need those. We just um, trust you to come up with those limits and let us know what they are. Yep. What about, Allison, you've said it a few times, and I think I have to, replacement costs, which is actually an insurance term. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's you know somewhat obvious what it means, but from an insurance standpoint, it's a little bit more involved than what you know we might just say in conversation. So can you explain that to us? Right, so replacement cost would be as opposed to like market value or actual cash actual value. Actual cash value. Uh, there are different ways that someone could estimate what a building or contents is worth depending on what condition it's in, what requirements there are around it. For instance, if it's historical, there might be some legal things you have to consider and how much you value things. But in general, we talk about replacement cost. And that just means, again, if there were to be a total loss, what would it cost to replace it today? So you may think, I have this old, very old, falling apart sorority facility. We we don't want to keep it around that much longer. So we really don't need to insure it for that much. Well, really, if you lost it, you couldn't replace it maybe for the same cost that you did in the 1950s when it was built <laughs> as you as it would cost to rebuild it today. Construction costs continue to rise right now more due to cost of labor than even cost of the materials to build it. So 
That's why when we say we're looking for replacement cost, it's what would it cost a contractor to replace your building or your contents today? So again, I mean, I even think of contents. Um, I, I don't know what composites used to cost, but it might not cost what it used to. Uh, so all that kind of stuff, even things that we know sometimes can feel invaluable uh, and hard to put a value on. We're just looking for something in general. And in terms of how often do you keep up with that, we have a good, um, again, some good resources on our website that try to summarize that. But we, we want you to try to keep up with it because uh, those costs rise over time. Inflation is something that can affect things. Usually the value of things does not go down over time. It tends to go up just due to all the economic changes and different expectations. Uh, most facilities are expected to have a sprinkler at this point, and that's a life safety thing as well as a property protection thing that adds another cost to your building. Who knows what it'll be 50 years or 100 years from now, just all the different features of a building. So in general, it's probably going to cost more as your life goes on, which can be a frustrating thing, but um, it's just kind of the reality of it. And we do expect the insurance policy, the underwriters who write the insurance policies and our insurance carriers do expect this kind of stuff to be insured to value and not to be extremely undervalued because should there be a loss, there would be a lot of eyebrows raised saying, well, we thought it was only worth this much, and now you're saying it's worth this much, but that's not what you told your insurance right. agent. So a lot of that's just a matter of integrity and keeping stuff up to date. And I think it's helpful here to make the analogy to, you know, if you own your own personal home, you would hope that over time it, it's that would be its market rate um, would go up, but the market rate goes up somewhat because of rising cost of construction and inflationary increases and things like that as well. Um, so I think that's helpful just to keep in mind. Of course, you would expect your personal home, hopefully, um, you know, its value to increase over time. And the same is true, of course, of a chapter house, especially on university property that is usually um, a little bit, you know, more limited than elsewhere and more valuable, so to speak. But so one thing that is part of property coverage that I think I didn't really understand before I um, started working at MJ is the loss of income and extra expense coverage, but it's actually a really important coverage. So can you explain that a little bit, Allison? Sure. So, and again, you keep hearing us use the term total loss, and that's because when an insurance company is trying to think, hmm, I'm going to provide insurance coverage for this property, what would it cost me, worst case scenario, they're always going to go to worst case scenario right. and that would be a total loss that would be like if the entire building burned down or if you're in an earthquake prone zone and the entire building just gets demolished by something so not only would the physical building and contents be lost but if you are a property owner you're also going to presumably lose some income that year you have tenants that were paying you residents in that facility to live there and that model depending on the housing contract could change during that year and suddenly your income structure to support that facility looks different. Additionally, if you're trying to now house people in alternative housing and feed them with a different meal plan or different catering services than you had before, there may be some additional expenses incurred. Even on a smaller basis without a total loss, like we've seen kitchen fires where suddenly, yeah, you're having to order in food differently than you had planned. So 
should there be a covered loss, this loss of income extra expenses there to kick in and cover some of those things. We recommend this because this can be so hypothetical and such a squirrely thing to nail down. The best ways we've come up with to estimate this, since we can't really do cost per square foot or an inventory checklist or something like we can with the other parts of building coverage, is to just think about if you have tenants and sorority chapter members living in your facility for about nine months of the year, what would the rental income from them be for that time period? Or again, just as a super ballpark estimate, we've thrown out there about $9,000 per tenant per year is what we're seeing. And we know that can vary so much depending on if you're in the middle of a city or if you're in a more rural college town and and cost of living is different. But we're just trying to determine if there was a big loss, what are all those other unintended expenses you may incur and make sure that there's coverage for that too. Yes, and we're finding on larger property claims that this extra expense or loss of income portion accounts for 60% of the claim. So. Um, it's really important that we, that one, you have the coverage <laughs> right. because you don't want to be stuck with all those bills. Um, and two, that you're, you know, insuring it accurately. Um, because again, if a large property loss occurs, that's going to be a big chunk of your extra expenses, uh, associated with that claim, unfortunately. For sure. We hope you don't have to use it like right. all of the insurance, but as Sarah mentioned, when you do have to use that one, you definitely want to make sure you have something scheduled there for your location on the policy. And I think that would be true for the, um, I mean, like, obviously, if you do not have a chapter house, um, you wouldn't need nine months, from, well, you wouldn't have rental income or $9,000 a tenant, but it might be a good idea to think about, let's say, um, like lodges and things like that. Like if something were to happen to your lodge and you had to find another meeting place for a year or something like that, um, might be a good idea to have some loss of income and extra expense scheduled, as Allison said, um, but obviously not to that kind of limit that we recommend for the actual housed facilities, if that makes sense. Right. And lodge was a funny term to me when I first started working here because I was like, are we talking about like ski lodges, like resort lodges, like what is... But just, we, we use that term, as Sarah mentioned, any meeting place uh, that's meeting place only and maybe there's no uh, rooms for members to live in physically on a property. Uh, yeah, but often then you're having to go out and rent other places to store stuff and places on campus, there may be fees associated with using their, their meeting spaces yeah. should something happen to your lodge. So there are so many different kinds of sorority chapter facilities out there we know. Uh, and... This may kind of lead to the obvious question that if, if you're the sorority member out there and you're like, yeah, 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 all these kinds of sorority properties and managing a building and all of that, that doesn't have to do with me. What about my stuff, my nice new laptop that I just got and all the stuff that I may be keeping in a chapter facility? Is that covered by the sorority, Sarah? So, <laughs> thanks for that. Great we'll, we'll question. Lead in. <laughs> um, so members' personal property isn't covered. So you need, or the chapter members need to rely on their parents' homeowner's policy, or in the absence of their parents having a homeowner's policy, uh, a renter's insurance policy, which is actually very inexpensive. We'll probably talk about that separately on another episode, but um, most homeowner's policies have extension coverage for 
children who are away at college. Um, one thing you do need to make sure, especially as we just kind of, you know, iPhones are like $1,000. Um, we're coming with a lot more expensive items than maybe we did in the past to college. And so you might just want to have your parents check with their homeowner's insurance agent um, to make sure like what the limit is um, that you're protected while you're away at school. But um, this, this coverage is protecting the sorority's property, not the individual people that live there. So I think like thinking about living in an apartment is a good analogy here. Um, if you lived in an apartment and you broke your laptop, as Allison said, um, you know, wherever, whether it was at the apartment or not, you wouldn't look to the apartment owner, property manager to pay for that claim. Um, you would either pay for it out of pocket or look to like a renter's insurance policy, as I mentioned. So um, I think that's just helpful. I think it gets a little bit fuzzy because obviously we are passionate about our um, sorority organizations that we're a part of, and um, we're obviously creating a more family type environment in the chapter house. But when it comes to covering your personal property, it's it's more similar to kind of a, an apartment uh, rental situation, if that makes sense. For sure, because they can't be responsible. The, the property owner, in this case, your house corporation, uh, can't be responsible for every member's little thing. Now, should something be damaged due to like extreme negligence on behalf of the property owners, that might be a different story and that right. would be a different situation. But um, they're already covering their own stuff. And if you read the fine print in a lot of those housing contracts and apartment contracts, you'll see it says the same thing, that you know if, if they're dealing with a fire that burned their building down, they're not gonna cover your stuff that was burned down. Right. Probably says something about you need to have your own coverage for that. Yes. So now we turn to a little section of the podcast that we call Yay or Nay. This one's a little bit more awkward, we'll be honest with you, because um, they're kind of just yes or no questions. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty pretty simple pretty this time. We hope we've covered the basics. And, and like we said, we know we can get into a lot of nuances with this, but hopefully these are pretty straightforward. Yes. So I'll go first. Okay. And you tell me yay or nay. Let's okay. say there's a tornado and your personal stuff your, as a chapter member, flies out the window and disappears <laughs> forever, Wizard of Oz style. Yeah. Is there coverage? For the house that was damaged by the tornado, yes. But for your stuff, which is what you're asking about, which we just talked about, nay. No, there's not coverage. So that is where, again, you would want to make sure you have coverage some, somewhere for your own stuff. I can ask you the next one okay. if you want. So... Let's say I'm a chapter member and my car is in the parking lot of the chapter facility and it gets vandalized while I'm in the chapter meeting. Or I could even be like a sorority volunteer that's like in the meeting trying to be a good volunteer and I come out. It's a crazy college campus and my car's been vandalized. Is there coverage under the sorority policy? Nay. So this is a little bit stranger because it's an automobile, but the auto coverage for the sorority, again, follows the sorority, not individual members' vehicles. So this would fall under your own personal automobile coverage um, if you wanted to turn it in there. For sure. So let's say we don't have a building for a chapter, but the dorm room where the chapter supplies are kept is damaged by 
maybe the fire sprinkler is inadvertently going off. Would there be coverage for the chapter's property in someone's you know, personal dorm room? So the keyword here you said was it's the chapter's property, the sorority chapter's property. So to this one, we can say, yay, yes, there should be coverage. But with the caveat, as long as you've told us that you have chapter contents and it's scheduled somewhere on the policy. So uh, if you exist as a, as a sorority chapter and part of your organization, they hopefully have some sort of property coverage listed for your location. At a minimum, contents only is what we what we advise. So, and as we've kind of been alluding to, there is an extension on the policy to cover contents when it's in transit or off premises. So we know sometimes we get questions about you know maybe the ritual equipment and the recruitment equipment is kind of living somewhere new every year, depending on which officer has it, because you don't have a central place to store it, and that's okay as long as we have it listed somewhere in the policy that you've got some contents coverage for XYZ chapter. Yes. So that actually leads to something that we haven't talked about, but I will include in the show notes is an easy way to check how to make sure that you have contents um, and possibly loss of income and extra expense coverage. And then if you have a building, you know what your limits are, maybe just to check to see where you are is to review the insurance overview. So I'll include a link to how to obtain the insurance overview. It's kind of like a snapshot by chapter slash house corporation um, that includes all of the limits. So your building, contents loss of income, but then also work comp, um, your general liability limits, all of those things along those lines, your deductibles. Um, So I will include a link to that in the show notes if you want to kind of do your due diligence and double check that now that you understand what all of this lingo means after listening to this episode, um, making sure that those limits are accurate and the coverages are appropriate for your individual location. Great. And now we get to move to the segment of the show we loved called What We Can't Stop Talking About. (laughs) For sure. So first, Sarah, what can you not stop talking about? So um, I can't, I feel like I'm maybe a little bit of an old lady, but (laughs) I love um, PBS Masterpiece. Mm. And I just really haven't found a PBS Masterpiece show that I don't really like. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously, Downton is the obvious choice here. But Downton Abbey. And oh, that yes. probably is what I first watched, honestly. I don't know. I forgot, like, all the drama that went down. It was some old episodes, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I forgot how much this show pulled you in and all the things I forgot happened. I know. It's kind of a soap opera, really, but um, a socially acceptable one. <laughs> I, don't, yes. I guess soap operas are fine. Anyway, um, the one I can't stop talking about lately and just finished its last season, sadly, um, is The Durrells of Corfu. So this is actually a novel um, that I haven't read yet, but now that I'm all finished with the show, I want to go back and read the book. I'm sorry, it's not a novel. It's a true story of this family that, um, this family, a British family, that their, the husband slash dad died, um, I think, in World War One. I'm not... I kind of forget because it's been years ago since I watched the first episode. But there's like five kids and they're just fun and crazy and creative. And the mom is kind of like at her wit's end and she decides to just move the whole family to Corfu, which is this beautiful island off the coast of Greece. 
And so, I mean, I would watch the show just for the scenery by itself because wow. it's gorgeous, Mediterranean, you know, like, and, um, but it's really a story about this family coming together, but then the community on Corfu and how they kind of um, just fall in love with the place and the people. And it just made me really happy. And it's all over now, and I'm sad. But oh. other people should. How many it. seasons? I, are there? Four. Four? Yeah. All right. So. All right. It kind of is giving me a. Uh, like uh, what's that show called? Under the Tuscan Sun vibes a oh, little bit, yeah. is it, or like, but it's Maybe. more it's more period piece. Yeah, it sounds like. Um, and the family is just really fun. Like you just want to be mm. a member of their family, but they're it's kind of like they can make fun of each other, but you know they have everybody's back kind of thing. So oh, that's cool. Um, it's just a really sweet story, and I'm excited to. It has my favorite character of any TV show of all time which is Theo, and you're just going to have to watch it, and then please email me because you will tell me that I was right. <laughs> that he's the best? Yes, of all time. <laughs> of all time. Those are strong words. Yes, they are. <laughs> Those are strong words. Well, now I want to check it out. All right, Allison, what, I, I need to figure out a better way to ask this. What can you not stop talking about? It's like a double negative. What, what do we stop? keep talking about? What do you, right. Okay. Yeah, Without stopping. That's another double negative. Anyway, um, for me, all sorts of things. I was, we were actually like, what is appropriate for the podcast <laughs> to talk about? Uh, a big thing that's been on my mind lately is school as an adult. I am uh, actually going back to get my MBA part-time while I am working here with the awesome sorority team. And so being back in school... Uh, Several years later, it's just, yeah, it's, it's different as an adult. Oh, I'm sure. There are nights that I've kind of thought, I'm going to power through tonight. And I, there was one night I found a Red Bull at the back of my <laughs> fridge, and I was like, I'm just going to power through. And I, like, opened it, and I started, and it was, like, 1030. And then I, like, looked around and was like, what am I doing? I can't, my body physically can't right. do this anymore. I can't pull all-nighters. I got to work the next day. I got to show up and be present every day and, and can't just can't just do that. So I definitely have some physical limitations going to school as an adult and just, uh, yeah, even I was just telling you, found a new little study study spot down the street at a cute little coffee shop and walking home from that late at night though, I definitely had a little bit of deja vu nostalgia for, mm-hmm. for college time. So are you appreciating it more? I always feel like I, yes. While I was in college, especially like the class part, Mm -hmm. I would go back and just appreciate it so much more now. Oh, yeah. And even doing this, I want to learn more about business is is a motivation for a lot of this and just how the business world works in 2019. But also, I mean, I found myself daydreaming. I'm like, I could go back and get a philosophy degree just for fun someday (laughs) or like seminary. Like there's so many things I, I would love to go back to school for. But Yes, I think one, because I am fully paying for it, so I want my money spread out of every class. And two, once you have some experience under your belt, you really can ask better questions in class and want to know how do I actually apply this. I don't just want to memorize a few things to check a few boxes on a test. And there's a cool aspect of if you're in a program like mine, getting to interact with people who also have experience in the working world and just asking each other questions about how do you oh, yeah. use this and your daily life and where have you seen challenges on these on these issues so I I definitely recommend it uh, it depends on the program you're in but for mine going back to school later with some experience has definitely helped and I'm actually one of the younger ones at 29 in my program which is interesting too yeah. so it's not too late 
Not too late. Never too late. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Real Talk with MJ Sorority. If there are any questions that come up from um, this episode, Property Basics, email us at realtalk at mjsorority.com. Thanks. See you next time. Thanks for joining us for Real Talk. We want to hear from you. If you have feedback, comments, or questions, send us an email at realtalk at mjsorority.com. Visit our website, mjsorority.com, to learn more about who we are, what we do, and explore our huge resource library. Check out the show notes from today's episode to dig a little deeper into the topics we discussed. This has been Real Talk with MJ Sorority. Be smart. Be safe. And we'll catch you next time.